Welcome to the Backstory Podcast. I'm your host, Colby Cole. And on this episode, we have another one of my Mount Rushmore folks, the, the, the kind of people I've been waiting to speak to because this brother has written so many amazing songs. He is also an amazing performing artist. And then on top of that, he's an executive and he's done a lot of things in the music business to make it what it is today. And that is Mr. Smokey Robinson. Hello, Smokey. Kobe, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. It's good to see you and uh, it's good to talk to you and thank you for your time today. You know, when I was thinking about, you know, speaking to you, like I, I, people know Smokey Robinson and they know you as just this iconic artist, the miracles, and then as a solo artist. But a lot of people don't know, like, how much of a prolific songwriter you are and when i was like looking up at, and i knew that you wrote a lot of hit songs but when i started to really look up the songs it was just so amazing that out of your brain to your fingers came so many amazing songs so let's talk a little bit about songwriting when did you start writing songs uh Kobe, i started <laughs> trying to write songs man when i was about six years old you know i, I i've always tried to write songs and and, and to poems and stuff like that since i was a little boy so that's when I started. And so as you were growing up, where did you get the name Smokey from? Like who who gave you that name and <laughs> what's the backstory on that? My favorite uncle, um, my, my, my uncle Claude. Uh, okay. He was also my godfather. And uh, he used to, he, he and my, my aunt couldn't have children. So I was like their son also, you know. Yeah. And mm -hmm. um, so he used to take me to see cowboy movies when I was a little boy, three and four years old. He had a cowboy name for me, Smokey Joe. If you asked me what my name was, I told you Smokey Joe. Everybody called me Smokey Joe, except for my mom called me Junior. My dad called me Boy. Okay. Right. Right. <laughs> right, right. Other than that, everybody called me Smokey Joe. Even my teachers, man. Most of them didn't call me Smokey Joe, but they did call me Smokey. So, um, but yeah, the, the, the name just stuck because I told everybody that was my name because uh, yeah. I loved cowboys. And that was my Uncle Claus' cowboy name for me. And so, talk a little bit about the part of this where you really wanted to make a career out of being an artist, because you actually were in high school, wrote all these songs in high school. So when you met Barry Gordy, you had all these songs that you had written already. And then you went to college. So like you were like, you had this, uh, I believe you wanted to be an electrical engineer. So you were already on your way to do something else, but somehow you became this recording, uh, this writer and, and recording artist. Well, you know what, Kobe, man, uh, that was always my first dream. It was always my first dream to be a singer. And um, so I, I, I was, it, where I was growing up, I just didn't think it was possible. I thought it would never be possible, so that was just my impossible dream. And mm -hmm. so I wanted to prepare myself for life. So I, had a, uh, I wanted to go to college, and I wanted to do something that I, like I said, in preparation for life. So I graduated from high school in June, and rather than going to college in September, I was working for Western Union at the time, and I was delivering telegrams on, on bicycle. Wow. And, uh, oh, Kobe, I've had every job you can think of, man. Shining shoes, <laughs> delivering papers, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? So anyway, um, I, I was delivering telegrams, so I figured that rather than me going to school in September, I was going to save my money up and go to school in January, which I, that was my plan. I was doing that. I was in the process yep. of doing that. And in August, uh, our group got a chance to go audition for Jackie Wilson's managers. And Jackie Wilson was not only from Detroit, but he was my number one singing idol at that time. Okay. I had all of his records, okay? 
and we go to audition for his managers. And it was, I tell people, I'm going to tell you this too, it was a God day because Barry happened to be there because he was a songwriter at the time and he had written all his songs for Jackie and some songs for Edward James and people like that. And I was aware was of that it when he was I, working with the, um, and the, and the, it, for the auto thing too, he was, was he doing that job at that time? No, 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 no. He had just quit the auto thing. Oh, he quit it. Okay. I got it. Yeah. After he got his first hit on Jackie Wilson, he quit the auto. <laughs> he, <laughs> he quit the auto plant. Yeah. But, uh, but he, there was no Motown. He hadn't started Motown yet. You know? Right. Right. So, but anyway, yeah, so he happened to be at that audition. Jackie Wilson's managers didn't particularly care for us because we had to make up with a, a guy singing Hi Me and a girl in the group. My ex-wife, uh, Claudette, was in the group at the time, and the miracles, we weren't, we were the matadors. But anyway, uh, so they told us that we would never make it because of the platters. The platters had that same makeup, and they were the number one group in the world. Right. So they rejected us. And then after that, Barry came out and asked where I got the songs from and blah, blah, blah. And we struck a relationship. And uh, a year, a year and a half or so after that, he started Motown. You had all of these songs written. So talk about some of the big songs that we know today. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me clear something up for you, man. I didn't have all of all these right. songs written. The songs that I had written back then, you don't hear any of those. The only one that you okay. might have heard became, it was one of those songs we sang at the audition. The only song that made sense all the way through was a song called My Mama Done Told Me. And you might have heard okay. that because it was on the back of our very first record before Motown. We were on end label and we had a song called Got a Job. Okay. Yes. But that those other songs are in that back in that in that loosely notebook, man. I, I, you know, I don't even know where those songs are. They they, they weren't any oh, of the songs didn't... that you've heard nowadays. Okay, so you didn't maybe take pieces of those songs to make other nah. songs. Okay. No. Okay. But the fact is, you still wrote a lot of songs when you were very young. So yeah, now yeah, you yeah. Get... Because uh, you know, I learned how to write songs. Barry was my mentor, and mm -hmm. I learned how to write songs. And so the songs that you're that you're talking about uh, happened, you know, after I became. A professional singer <laughs> got it got it no of course yeah. good. that's good that's good so you get with the miracles and then you you start writing with barry gordy and so talk about that because you must have been what 18 17 18 years old at that time try 16. wow <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah like i said i i just graduated from high school man and um wow. so yeah but uh but he, he uh like i said he mentored me in in, in on my songs because my songs well, rhymed up good, but they they didn't flow. They didn't make sense all the way through. So after I became uh, a professional singer, then I wrote I wrote those songs. So that professional singer was the miracle. So you guys had a big song called "Shop Around." Was that your first really big song? That was the first million seller. What was that like at that age? To just because you you were growing up around Jackie Wilson, you saw all this energy, the beginning of Motown, and then you just drop a the first big record on Motown. What was that like for you as as still a teenager? Uh, it, it was it was wonderful, man. But see, you, I, I I I was you said dropping on Motown. I was a part of Motown, man. I was there the very first day when Barry started Motown. You know, there were five people there, and so I I I, I considered myself a part of the a part of what was going on in the first place, but sure. uh, Shop Around was a song that I actually had written. We had a we had an artist named Barrett Strong, and Barrett just passed away recently, too. But Barrett had a big hit record called Money, That's What I Want. The best things in life are free. But I'm, yeah, yeah. So Barry said he wanted me to do an album on Barrett. So I wrote Shop Around for Barrett. And I said, hey, man, you know, because what you do with money, you shop. So, so I wrote Shop Around, and I was very excited about Shop Around. And I, I went and I showed it to Barry. 
And he said, hey, man, he said, I like your voice on this. I want you to sing this. I said, no, man, this is for Barrett. No, it's for you. No, it's for Barrett. So we did a bunch of that. And he finally just said, hey, man, go in the studio and record this on you and the Miracles. I did. But Barrett Strong was a bluesy singer. When I recorded or wrote Shop Rod, I wrote it as a bluesy song. Just because you become a young man. And the piano wrote, blah, 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 All that was happening, you know. Yeah. And so I recorded on the Miracles and Me. And we put the record out. And it had been out for probably about at least two weeks. It was on the radio. And one morning at three o'clock in the morning, my phone rings. And I picked up the phone. I said, hello. And it's Barry. He said, hey, man. I said, hey. He said, it's Barry. I said, I know I recognize your voice, man. I said, what do you want? He said, what you doing? I said, what am I doing? I said, it's three o'clock in the morning, man. I'm sleeping. What are you doing? He said, shop around. Won't let me sleep. I said, what you talking about, man? He said, you gave it the wrong treatment. He said, I'm going to change the beat. I'm going to change the feeling of it. I'm going to change the sound of it. And it's going to number one. I said, okay, man, I'll see you tomorrow. He said, no, I mean, right now. I said, Barry, it's three o'clock in the morning, man. He said, I don't care. I've called the musicians. You call the group. Y'all come to the studio now. We went to the studio. Record had been on the radio for two weeks now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we go to the studio and re-recorded his version which was the one that sold a million copies, went to number one. So, so he was right. It resurfaced the record? Absolutely. Wow. Yep. And back then it was different because it wasn't digital. So you had to like physically mail it to people and have people drop it uh, off. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you remember your first experiences? Like, so you put the song out. So obviously you start doing all the shows, uh, leaving Detroit and start performing in other cities. What was that like for you? It, it was wonderful. Uh, we, we actually had started doing major traveling before Shop Around came out. We we were, like I said, we were on two different record labels before Barry started uh, Motown. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a record on chess label out of Chicago called Bad Girl. And Bad Girl was a record that really started us. It was it was a, a good hit for us. And it was the one that started us to traveling and doing shows and all that. In fact, the very first really professional show that we ever did was in New York at the Apollo Theater on the Ray Charles show. So that was the record that started us to to traveling, basically, before Shop Around. And so while you were making music for the Miracles, you were also starting to write for other artists. And so you had a massive record with Mary Wells, Two Lovers. Talk a little bit about that. Well, like I said, I was I was there on the very first day of Motown, man. There were five people there, and we were doing everything. We were going to get the records, taking them to the radio stations. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Mary Wells had met Barry at a nightclub. And she had a song that she wanted him to give to Jackie Wilson. And it was called Bye Bye Baby. And he said she was following him around the club, telling him she wanted him to give this song to Jackie Wilson. And she sang it for him. And he loved her voice. So he had her to come over to Motown and we signed her as an artist. And wow. he told me he wanted me to do an album on her and get some hits on her. So the first record that I ever had on her that was a hit after, after we put the Bye Bye Baby record out was a song called The One Who Really Loves You. And uh, I was watching Ed Sullivan one night and Harry Belafonte, who was one of my favorite people and one of my favorite artists of all times, was on there. And he was singing uh, Daylight Come and Won't Go Home. And he had the Calypso thing, you know, day -o, day -o, and the Calypso beat, Daylight Come and the bongos and all that. So my idea for Mary, I said, I'm going to make her the Calypso queen of R&B. That's how I'm going to do her sound. So I did her sound like that. I did it with the bongos and all that. And, and, and she had the, the one who really loves you 
was the first hit that I had heard. Uh, 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 what did you mention? Two lovers. That that was like the third one down in the in the in the, in the sequence of, of songs. Because we had the one who really loves you. You beat me to the punch, and then two lovers. So then Motown then takes off. Like you guys are. So talk a little about the um, the machine line uh, that you guys created to make to make hit records at Motown. What was that like at that time? It was energetic, man. It was it was great because there was just a lot of young people there making some music and having a good time uh, because uh, it was everybody's dream. When you see people in the music world, that's their dream, man. That's what they want to do. So a lot of people were there, a lot of young people, and we were making music, and it was energetic, and it was all that. So we, we, we had a great time being with each other and critiquing each other and at the same time competing with each other. So it, it was just a great place to be, man, to, to grow up and to be there and uh, have all those people in the same place at the same time. So then the one of the greatest male groups of all time or potentially the, one of the greatest groups ever, the Temptations are put together and you were really helpful in writing some of their biggest records. Do you recall just the beginning parts of the Temptations development, like finding them, putting them all together and then, you know, how do you write a song for like five people? Like, you know, and then you gave them some, some pretty big songs. The Temptations, um, Melvin, who was the bass singer, Blue, and Otis, who was the founder of the group. Otis is the only original one who's still alive, okay? I, I knew them from high school. We went to different high schools, but I played football and basketball from my high school, and their high school was one of our arch rivals. Okay. They went to Northwestern, I went to Northern. So I kind of knew them because they had a group, they, they were called The Distance at the time, and my group was called The Matadors. And we had group battles. But there was not just the two of us, there were groups everywhere. So we had group battles at school and at the recreation centers and on the corner. Anywhere we could find some girls, <laughs> we, we were singing, you know. So uh, I, I knew them. And they came over, over to Motown and they, they sang and, and we, we signed them up and blah, blah, blah. And Barry told me um, to work with them, try to get some hits on them. So I recorded a couple of records on them, nothing happened. And then one day, the Miracles and I were on our way home from a, a, a real long tour, and it was my turn to drive the car, and everybody else was sleeping, and it was my turn to drive, so I'm driving my mileage or whatever, and a song came to me, and it turned out to be the way you do the things you do. Mm. And that was the first hit record that they had and that I had on them. And so I started to work with them uh, on the, and then um, uh, eventually it, it worked away, it worked its way up to me doing My Girl on them. So My Girl has become my international anthem as a songwriter you know but uh yeah i wrote my girl because of david ruffin basically and and the temptations because i just wanted david to sing something sweet and um it turned out to be my girl so did you then for mary wells write my guy as sort of an the opposite of that you you, you know what man people have asked me that many times i wasn't even thinking about my girl when i wrote my guy i wow. just want to change mary's flavor Right. Because like I said, I had her on the Calypso thing and I just wanted to change her flavor, man. So I wanted to put her into more of a pop bag. And that's why I wrote My Guy. I wasn't thinking about My Girl when, 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 I, wrote, when I wrote that. And then there was a young man named Marvin Gaye that came through. Talk about just meeting Marvin and you guys working with him and signing him and getting him ready for the world, man. That, that must have been just an amazing brother when you when you came across him. Well, it was, man. Do you know who Ari Fuqua was? The, there was a group back in the day when I was growing up, man, called okay. the Moonglows. Okay. 
and the Moonglows were one of the top groups in our neighborhood. You know, I had all their records too. So anyway, the guy who was the founder of that group was a guy named Harvey Fuqua. Okay. Harvey Fuqua came over to Motown, and and by the time he got there, he was actually getting ready to marry Gwen, one of Barry's sisters. And by the time he got to Motown, he had some other people in the Moonglows, and Marvin Gaye happened to be one of those people. And he brought Marvin to one of the Christmas parties. And Marvin was sitting at the piano singing the Christmas song. And everybody started to gather around him because of his voice. And they just loved his voice. So uh, we signed him. And when we first signed him, he wanted to be, he said he was going to be the black Frank Sinatra. He wanted to just sing stuff like that. He didn't want to sing R&B or any of that. So we let him sing what he wanted to sing. And first record was uh, Mr. Sandman, you know. And we two 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 three records on him and nothing happened. So right. finally, there was a guy named Mickey Stevenson who was our A and R director at the time, convinced Marvin to sing rhythm and blues, and they wrote "Stubborn Kind of Fella" together. And "Stubborn Kind of Fella" came out and changed Marvin's life. Yeah, what was in the water in Detroit, man? Because it's like all of these. <laughs> and then you and you lived down the street from Aretha Franklin, right? So you knew her. Yes, I, early I, I her, lived around the corner the, from her. I lived down the yeah. street from Diana Ross. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like I was four doors down the street and recently lived right around the corner. I always wonder what the, what was in the water because that's such a collection of talent, iconic talent, all from one city, all in one time period, and all sort of cultivated through Motown. It's just, I mean, it's a story that I don't think will ever be written again like that. I mean, it was just so I, much talent. I don't talent. either, man. I don't either. I tell everybody Motown was a once-in-a-lifetime musical event, man. It didn't happen like that before, and it'll never happen like that again. But yeah, my thoughts on what you just asked me. In every city and town and village and wherever people are gathered in the world, ratio-wise to their vicinity, they might have that same amount of talent, but we had Barry Gordy. See, that was what it was. We had a man who had a dream, who had the wherewithal to pull that dream off, who had the wherewithal to know that if when he started Motown, if he didn't know something, he hired somebody who did know that. You know what I mean? <laughs> and worked it out. Not many dudes, especially black dudes with a high school education, yeah, could have pulled I was going to say, black man. Yeah, yeah like especially in those days. In you know what I mean? Yeah. So that was, that was our key. We had him. So you're writing all these songs, and you still were an artist with the miracles. So right, you still you. So then you you you. When now, when I think about the competition, just looking like you go, ooh, baby, baby, from the miracles, which is like timeless and then you come track some of my tears so how did you find the time and the energy to sort of you were sort of a label executive and you were helping cultivate all these artists but yet you were still performing and delivering hit records and touring that that must have been so much of your your energy and your time it, it, it was baby but i was young yeah <laughs> you know what i mean no, I feel like that's bad. Yeah, I could pull all that off with no problems. <laughs> no, but you know, like I said, in, in meeting Barry before he started Motown and being there from the very first day and all that, you know, it, it was just what, what I did, man. It was just it was just a part of my life. And I was so excited to be able to live my dream. I'm living my wildest dream right now. You know what I mean? I from where I was growing up, like I said, I never dared to dream that it could happen, but it did. Yeah, it's, it's a gift from God. I cherish it. I'm just gonna do a quick burst through some songs. Since I Lost My Baby, 
Since I Lost My Baby is one of those songs that I regret when it came out because I think it should have followed My Girl. We put another record out in between Since I Lost My Baby and My Girl, which didn't happen because My Girl was killing it. My, some records, the radio just will not stop playing. So they wouldn't stop playing My Girl. So the, the record after My Girl suffered. And then after that record came out, then we put out Since I Lost My Baby, which I thought was a really terrific record. You know, the, the, the record itself, not just the song, just the record, the arrangement, all that, you know, the way they sang it, all that. And I regret that it didn't come out to follow My Girl because I think it would have been a much bigger song. And then Luther records it again in the mm -hmm. 80s and it becomes even a bigger record. Absolutely. Well, Luther touched yeah. it, baby. <laughs> yeah. And then you took a little bit of a break and then you had an amazing solo career, you know, cruising, being with you. What made that, what was that decision to just kind of like leave the group and just do the solo thing? When I left the group, man, I had no I had no intentions of being a solo artist. That was it for me. You know, like I said, I've been with them. Those guys, two of them, we had grown up together. We'd known each other since we were 10 years old. And so we, we were neighborhood kids growing up together in there. And uh, so by the time I retired, uh, the, the, like I said, my then wife, Claudette, was in the group. And we, were, we decided uh, after a while we were going to try to have some children. And we had seven miscarriages while she was on the road. She was just, you know, and we couldn't figure out why. So we had to go to some specialists and blah, blah, blah. So finally, my, my, my oldest son was born through a surrogate mother. And my daughter was born because the doctor that we had had built a, a uterine brace so she could carry my daughter, you know. But anyway, my kids were born, man. And um, I wanted to see my kids grow up. And the Miracles and I had been all over the world. We had done everything that a group could do. We had done at least two or three times. You know what I mean? And so when my kids were born, I wanted to know my kids. I wanted to see them take their first steps. I wanted to hear their first words. I didn't want to be on the road somewhere, you know, and be coming home, be gone all the time. Come home, my kids don't know whether to say, hi, dad, or can I have your autograph? You know what I'm saying? So I wanted to know my children. So I retired. And I retired with the intentions of never, ever performing on stage again, ever, or recording wow. myself. Wow. Recording or, or recording myself. I was going to write some songs for some other artists and record them and produce some records or something like that and just do my job as a vice president of Motown. And that's what I was going to do. And I wasn't thinking about being in show business at all. And um, so I, I moved out of Los Angeles and I started to do my job as a vice president, which was the financial thing, signing checks and doing all that and making deals and blah, blah, blah. After about two and a half, maybe close to three years, I was miserable. I was so miserable inside. I thought I was hiding it from my wife and from Barry and everybody because I didn't want anybody to know that I was miserable and how much I missed being on stage and being in show business. And uh, one day, Barry came to my office and put me out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Say, he, told, he told me, get out. You know, go make a record. Go, you know, because you're miserable. He said, you know, he said, you're my best friend and you're miserable. And when I see you miserable, it makes me miserable. And I don't want to be miserable, so I need you to get out of my face. <laughs> so I just hugged him and I went and did the Quiet Storm record. And that brought me back. Smokey, you are a creative. So a creative has to be creative. So thank you for all of the uh, time and energy and effort that you've given the world of music. And we just, you know, appreciate you, honor you. And here is eight decades later and you're still making music and still torn 
it's an amazing story, man. And I'm just, um, I'm blessed that I had a chance to speak to you. And I'm just uh, glad that we can give you your flowers. Well, I appreciate you doing this, my brother. Thank you very much. Coming up on the next Backstory Podcast, hip-hop legend Jazzo. Back then, like, you ain't no real producer. You ain't trying to get money. You ain't trying to sell no beats if you don't have your stuff. He saw me out there, and he was like, I know you got something. What you got? So we went in this car, and we played this beat in particular, and it became, in my lifetime, the Big Jazz Remix. The Backstory Podcast with Colby Kolb is an Urban One Incorporated Reach Media Pod is Good production, hosted and executive produced by yours truly, Colby Kolb, edited by Donkis. Follow us on Twitter at BackstoryPCC, on Instagram, Get the Backstory. Senior Director of Podcast Operations, Sierra Reed, for sales and corporate partnerships, Josh Romani and Michelle Marino. Digital Marketing, Walter Gaynor, J.R. Smith, and Tim Hall. Thanks again for listening to the Backstory Podcast.